Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Yeah, I think we're, we're equipped to do a lot of different things, and I think, um, <clears throat> I think Shane's w- world and, and 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 also kind of we're continually evolving what we want to be able to do and all the pieces that we have and all the guys that we have. It's really cool because I think that um, obviously we can take our shots, we can do the mid-range game, we can do the quick game, we can run the ball extremely well. He's dangerous, and those are his thoughts on his former OC Shane Waldron. Let's learn more from an old friend, shall we? It's been a long time since we've spoken with our guy, Sage Rosenfels, a former 12-year NFLer, part of the QB Collective. He's on Twitter at SageRosenfels18, and he's on the Circa Sports Illinois Score Hotline, twitch.tv slash Chicago670. The Score, how you been? I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, digging out from snow I'm at my parents' place uh, over in Iowa City, Iowa, and uh, trying to clear the driveway. Um, that's how I'm doing, uh, today. Of course, uh, following all the coaching carousel that goes around uh, the NFL about this time of year. Well, so what do you think of Shane Waldron? Well, it's a, it's an interesting question. I, I first met him at a quarterback collective event, probably around 2017. Uh, I think, um, I believe Justin Fields might've been a senior and going into a senior in high school. He was the number one quarterback in the country. Uh, I know there's conversation, of course, in Chicago with him and, of course, Caleb Williams as well. And I think Caleb was maybe an eighth grader or a ninth grader uh, at that time. So they were both there. And, you know, I met this guy, you know, and my, you know, history goes back, of course, way back uh, to like the sort of the Houston Texans where Kyle Shanahan I I played for and and Matt LaFleur and Mike McDaniel, Robert Sala, D'Amico Ryans we drafted that year. So uh, it's amazing how much that coaching tree has just continued to grow and grow and grow and when I first met Shane Waldron at that camp you know I didn't know him I didn't know who he really was but I knew he had worked for was working for you know Sean McVay at the time and uh, maybe he was a passing game coordinator and sort of working his way up that tree but just great conversations about like how much he had learned from the previous places he had been to what he knew just after you know a year or so of being with Sean McVay and you know that coaching staff had a a lot of great coaches on it uh, uh, of course um, you know in uh, in LA at that time, Matt LaFleur was there, uh, Zach Taylor was there. Uh, so, you know, he was just sort of getting his start into like the higher levels of NFL coaching and thought he was a great guy. Watched him uh, sort of install plays and do some coaching uh, on the video in front of all these top, you know, high school kid quarterbacks. And, you know, I was impressed. I was like, all right, this guy's got a future in the National Football League. He can coach and very likable guy. And of course, I've got to know him a little bit here and there. Over the years, the combine, you have a beer with them, talk about the different offenses and the evolution of the game, but also the, you know, the, the type of football that's maybe not evolutionary, but it's just winning football. And I feel like that's what he coaches uh, the, in his style of coaching in this whole sort of world of this sort of Shanahan, Kubiak, you know, whatever tree is really, I feel like he has really good, high quality winning uh, concepts, winning style uh, of football. That's the way he coaches. It may not be flashy. It may not be uh, something where he's going to lead the league 
uh, in passing yards and things like that. But I feel like it's, again, it's, it's, it's winning football. And I think that's really, really, really important. I'd love to know what your philosophy is on, on game flow, like play calling. Cause it was one of my biggest issues with Luke Getze is that it felt like his scripts were really great. And then once the game got going, you got past the first 15 or first 20, that there was a struggle. So from your experience, what have the best play callers done to build as a game is going on and recognize what a defense is, is doing and attacking it? Yeah, it's always interesting as you go into a game, you make you, you see what you have on film. Most most teams you watch for maybe up to six games of their previous uh, uh, games and, and you sort of break everything down based off of the more recent things, right? Because players get hurt. There's no reason in week 16 to be watching week one because a lot of times it's an entirely different teams in a lot of ways. And so you're looking at coverages, you're looking at blitzes, you're looking at fronts, but then you go, okay, well, how do you think they're going to play us? And you don't really know until the game starts. You make your sort of best bet. That's why you have this giant package of football plays because you don't really know exactly what the defense is going to do. And, you know, as, as I don't know, someone once said, you know, uh, we're all pretty good until we get hit in the face. And it's a lot of times it's sort of like that with play calling. We're all pretty good at the beginning when you can sort of script everything, you know, exactly uh, what you want to do, but then you don't know what the defense is going to do as that game progresses. And so you have to, you know, adjust. And so, no, it's a, it's a really important aspect of being a play caller. Uh, timing is an important aspect of being a play caller. Of course, understand all the little intricacies of players who are hurt and players on the other team and, you know, they might have their fifth fifth cornerback in because two guys are hurt and you know who's got how are we going to get a matchup of our best player, our best receiver on that fifth cornerback. I mean, there's a lot that sort of goes into really good play calling and uh, it's not all that easy. It's, it's easy, of course, from our couches and how we just sort of watch games and been like, man, they should have done this. But of course, there's a lot that goes into decide what what play to call on that giant call sheet. Bears offensive line coach Chris Morgan survived the purge and remains in his job, which I find significant for a team to say, no matter who our coordinator is, no matter what we're running, this guy is going to be the offensive line coach. So obviously when somebody interviewing knows they're inheriting that, it, it will will color the tenor of that discussion. The Bears have run zone. They've run like Mike Shanahan tree outside zone, Alex Gibbs, a lot of stretch cutback kind of stuff. What is the significance in your mind with this marriage? Now that we know who it is melding the Shanahan stuff, the McVay stuff. I imagine that the bears know enough about his relationship with the line or who they think they're going to have. What does it mean that this really important subgroup is already taken care of? Yeah, I think on a coaching staff, you've got the head coach, you've got the, the the three coordinators, special teams, offense, defense, and then for me, the offensive line coach. Like that, he is right up there as far as most important coaches on the staff. They're they're coaching, I think, the the most other than maybe quarterback, of course, the most difficult positions. You're coaching five guys to basically be perfect on dang near every play against athletes on the other side that are insane, that are just world class. Uh, beasts over there. And, and they so have to know really, the whole playbook. They have to know that, run and pay, they have to know every single play in the playbook perfectly. That's right. And and, uh, and all the adjustments and the different fronts and the protections and, 
you know, it, it, there, there's a lot of work that goes in there. And, you know, I, I played for five teams in my career and I can tell you the challenges when a new offensive line coach comes in with a completely different scheme and the way they call things. And, you know, there's a lot of R words and L words, rights and lefts, and everyone has their sort of own way of doing it. But to keep that consistent, in my opinion, is a major win for this offensive line and, and this offense and really the whole team. As, as long as the head coach liked this guy and thought he was good, um, to keep that guy in place and then uh, uh, obviously to have a coordinator that sounds like their two styles match up, that's a big win because it is really hard to sort of start over from scratch and completely new, learn new languages, new footwork sometimes, just little things. But if you can keep those guys consistent, they will improve over time. Those developmental guys that may have been on the practice squad last year, backups, they're going to be now in that same system. Rather than learning something new, they're in that same system so they can really refine the things they already know and really become the, the best versions of themselves as far as offensive line. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Sage, we're living in a space now where almost all of the quarterbacks that are coming up have an athletic component to their game. What's important from your point of view when trying to figure out if the play callers and offensive coordinators that you hire can work with dual threat quarterbacks? Well, they're all different. I mean, Brock Purdy is sort of a dual threat quarterback. He's extremely, he's a great scrambler, but he definitely isn't Lamar Jackson. Definitely isn't, you know, Justin Fields as far as a guy who can take off and run 30 or 70 yards, right? So to me, that sort of scrambling component, it, it, there's, there's plays that it really helps, you know, third and twos or inside the 10 yard line where I think it's worth putting your quarterback a little bit of risk on the right types of sort of run run options you know plays where you can hand it off or run it him, themselves like a zone read you know type of thing but to me really it's about just buying a little more time and the, and the, the ability to sort of move around the pocket uh create some space with the defensive line and the linebackers who are blitzing and just buy a little more time because it's really really hard just to drop back and throw it to guys who are open on time you know i don't know what the percentage is but it seems like well over half the time the quarterback has to get off his post there in the back and move around uh, to find some sort of open, open throwing lane, open spot in the pocket to make a clean, accurate throw. And so to me, it's more about just the movement in the pocket. Uh, and then those occasional times where let's take advantage of this guy's ability to run uh, again, like, you know, some sort of third and short fourth down. Uh, and of course, you know, inside the, the 10 yard, inside the five yard line where, you know, touchdowns are, are so important and to have that quarterback that can run, to score touchdowns in the red zone is like having an extra player on offense. Sage, I've been focusing a lot lately on center play in large part because the bears have been bad at it for a while. And I look around and I watch Frank Ragnow and Creed Humphrey and Tyler Linderbaum and Jason Kelsey. And I see the difference between someone really good at it and someone not is stark for somebody who's just watching the game on my level. 
Who's the best center you ever played with, and how significant is that position value over replacement in modern NFL offense? Man, the best center I ever played with. Um, That's a great question. Uh, When I was the New York Giants, um, I think, you know, Chris Snee, not not Chris Snee, but uh, 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 Sean O'Hara was our center for about the first six games, and he had been to multiple Pro Bowls, and you know, that, that offensive line that Eli Manning had, what a blessing for him. It pretty much stayed the same for like five or six years, like literally, and even the backups, uh, you know, the sixth and seventh guys, they were sort of all the same. And so someone would go out and a guy who had been there for four or five years would just pop in. Um, so it, it was, it was Sean O'Hara, but then Richie Soybert, uh, who's actually, a, uh, a, you know, into Western Illinois, small school. I don't think he was drafted six foot two. He was an awesome center too. And what I really learned over time is, you know, you love having huge offensive linemen, but the centers that are sort of squatty and smaller, they can create great leverage uh, on the deep, on the defensive linemen, get underneath their pads. Cause you know, most of those defensive tackles are six foot five, 330 pounds, and they're going to be bigger than your center most of the time. But if you can be underneath their pads, and have great leverage, great footwork. Uh, and, and, you know, usually centers are working with either one of the guards, the right guard, the left guard on some sort of double team. So those combination blocks are sort of everything for a center. Mm-hmm. You usually don't ask them to block a guy all themselves. There's usually a little bit of a combination. So it's that chemistry between the center and the guards, uh, but also there's the centers that really understand the deep X's and O's of the game, run game, pass game, protections, the ones that really understand the X's and O's. Because then they, if you really understand that, that sort of deeper level of football, then you can anticipate. And to play offensive line and just sort of go, I'm going to block that guy. Well, people are moving all the time. But if you start seeing little keys and little cues, um, it can be really advantageous to give you a competitive advantage to have an idea that, hey, they're going to do this. They're going to stunt this way. They're going to move this way based off of maybe a safety that the center uh, can see. So that's why you see guys like Jason Kelsey play for a long, long time and play great football in year 10 plus because they've just gained so much knowledge on all those little cues. It helps them anticipate and it makes them and the other guys around them much better players. Sage, the Bears have a choice on what to do at the quarterback spot. I, I know how I feel about it, and I know that, that it's going to be a debate among Chicagoans for a long time. With Justin Fields and what you saw this season, is there something there? Because I, I keep saying there's something there, and then the question kind of becomes, can it ever be realized? So from what you saw on tape, what do you think of him, and it, have you changed like maybe what you think his ceiling might be? Well, you know, I, I think as a someone who watches a lot of quarterback play, the hard part is I only can see the tangibles. I only can see arm strength and athleticism. Um, I can see how they move around the pocket. Uh, I can see these sort of tangible things. And Justin Fields has great tangibles. What I can't see are all the intangibles. What I can see is uh, how the team reacts to how he plays and and how he moves and how he may or may not be able to change protections or really take full command of the offense and how the offensive coordinator may have to do things that maybe counteract some of the weaknesses of a quarterback as a fan, just, you know, me, just like you, you can't see those things. You don't know those things unless you're really, really in it. And so 
you know, from a physical capability standpoint, man, he's got impressive characteristics, but, you know, obviously that hasn't turned into a lot of wins for the Chicago bears. And that's, you know, that's very, very frustrating. You do see these, these sort of sparks of like, Oh my God, what an, an incredible player. Uh, but, you know, Tom Brady won a lot of Super Bowls and didn't have all those insane tangible numbers. What he had is an absolute control of the entire game offensively and defensively and a deep understanding of the game and insane accuracy and a really, really quick release. And that's probably one thing I don't see out of Justin is a really, really quick release and ability to sort of throw when someone's sort of in his lap. Uh, he's a pretty dang good throw when he's on rhythm and things are good. But when things start breaking down, some of his accuracy stuff sort of goes away and the really, really good ones stay accurate and, you know, pump up my guy Brock Purdy from Iowa State. But, man, that kid does not have a strong arm. He is not fast. He's sort of quick and squatty, but his accuracy is insane and his ability to anticipate is absolutely insane. I mean, I watch occasionally Steve Young talk about Brock Purdy and you can just tell Steve is, you know, one of the all time great quarterbacks and he is just like enamored with how impressive this kid is. And, you know, that that is hard to just, you know, sort of see. Um, and I've, I haven't seen some of those sort of anticipation throws where he's just sort of thrown into these windows, knowing his receiver is going to be there without sort of seeing him open first and Justin sort of fires it in there. I feel like uh, uh, Brock does such a great job of anticipating. And that's something that, you know, Justin Fields, doesn't do quite as well as some of the best quarterbacks in the league. Can can that be fixed with reps, or is that something that you, you kind of have it or you don't? It's a great question. I think it's that's like the question that everyone asks when they're talking about quarterback play is like, can you fix, can you make a quarterback a great anticipator? And uh, I know for just my own personal experience, uh, the longer I was in the league, the better I got as far as just understanding who's going to be open and why and throwing balls into windows, basically blindly, just knowing that based off of the couple little things that I saw that my guy is going to be there and, and, and it's going to be on time and I don't actually have to see him open. Um, you know, it's interesting with Shane Waldron coming from the Seattle Seahawks, right? Geno Smith is up there, second round draft pick of the Jets is a total flop in New York. Everyone thinks this guy stinks. He's not going to be a good NFL player. He sort of falls back into that backup role. And then, you know, after years and years and years, and he, you know, and he gets to year seven, year eight, year nine, gets as another opportunity to sort of be the guy and plays really high quality football. Like there actually is this thing called development that, you know, we don't like to really uh, uh, think is a real thing, but, you know, we like to have a guy come in and play year one, year two, and he's just awesome. And, more often than not, it just takes time to develop. And, uh, you know, is he going to develop and to be one of those quarterbacks that can really anticipate and throw a ball off his back foot blindly into the perfect window on a dagger route coming backside? I don't know. I haven't seen a ton of that yet. Uh, I haven't seen as well as some of the other great quarterbacks in the league. I've seen some of it, but I haven't seen that uh, enough yet. But my question is, I wonder if being that Shane has been in this sort of situation before, if he can raise Justin's level to be that type of quarterback, uh, to be a sort of a better anticipator, I guess we won't know until until we see it. If he wants to, or maybe he said, "Hey, get me Caleb Williams." Right, right. I'll quick release. You know, yeah, get me, get me Caleb Williams. I'm not even going to bother with Justin Fields. I mean, I mean, C- Caleb has. Uh, he said, known this kid for a long time. Um, he really, in my opinion, he does have all that it uh, that you're looking for. Uh, you know, we always talk about 
can't miss prospects and, and things like that. But um, he does have that sort of anticipation thing. I think he tries to fire the ball probably too hard uh, sometimes and probably could take some off and have a little bit more touch. But um, he does an incredible job uh, of, of anticipating from, from what I've seen, you know, at USC and at Oklahoma as a very, very young guy. So, you know, we used to do this test with quarterback collective where we sort of measure these other elements. It's not smarts. It's not a wonderlick. It's nothing like that, but his ability for, for players to sort of, um, to sort of anticipate, uh, to sort of see things before they actually happen. Uh, there's these tests that were developed originally actually for like Alzheimer's patients, uh, these sort of, um, um, you know, how much can you uh, uh, see that's sort of not there? I know it's, it's sort of hard to describe. And I know Caleb Williams uh, was phenomenal uh, with that, as was Drake May, the kid out of North Carolina. I When I first met Drake May, I'm like, this kid's going to be it. I saw I did a camp where I was had him with the Ohio State kid uh, next to each other. And I could just see the, the kid that just transferred to Syracuse. I, I could just see the difference. And I was like, one kid's going to Ohio state. So he must be a top quarterback. And this kid's going to North Carolina, Drake may, he must be pretty good too. And man, I could just, there was just something about the way Drake may is uh, as a person and the way he moved and the way he threw and his quick release. And um, that I just knew he was going to be uh, a top draft pick someday. And here we are, he'll probably be the number two pick in the draft coming up in May. Sage, great catching up, man. Uh, continued good health to you and your family. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.